irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. The Soviet space program was the rocketry and space exploration programs conducted by the former Union of Soviet Socialist Republics otherwise known as the Soviet Union, or USSR, from the 1930s until its dissolution of the USSR in the year 1991. Over its 60-year history, this primarily classified military program was responsible for a number of pioneering accomplishments in space flight. Some you'll recognize, some you won't. These include the first intercontinental ballistic missile, known as the R-7, the first satellite, Sputnik 1, the first animal in space, the dog Laka, on Sputnik 2. First human in space and Earth orbit, cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin on Vostok 1. First woman in space and Earth orbit, cosmonaut Valentina Tereshkova on Vostok 6. First spacewalk, cosmonaut Alexei Lenov on Voskhod 2 first moon impact, Luna 2, first image of the far side of the moon, Luna 3, an unmanned lunar soft landing, Luna 9, first space rover, Lunakhood 1, first sample of lunar soil automatically extracted and brought back to Earth, Luna 16, and first space station, Salyut 1. 
further notable records include the first interplanetary probes, Venera 1 and Mars 1, that flew to Mars and Venus, respectively, Venera 3 and Mars 2, to impact the respective planet's surface, and Venera 7 and Mars 3, to make soft landings on both these planets. The rocket and space programs of the USSR, initially boosted by the assistance of captured scientists from advanced German rocket programs, was performed mainly by Soviet engineers and scientists after 1955 and was based on some unique Soviet and Imperial Russian theoretical developments, many derived by Konstantin Eduardovich Chekhovsky, sometimes known as the father of theoretical astronautics. Sergei Korolev was the head of the principal design group. His official title was chief designer, a standard title for similar positions in the USSR. Unlike its American competitor in the space race, which had NASA as a single coordinating agency, the Soviet program was split among several competing design groups, led by Korolev, Mikhail Yangel, Valentin Glushko, and Vladimir Chelemy. Because of the program's classified status and for propaganda value, announcements of the outcomes of missions were delayed until success was certain and failures were sometimes kept secret. Ultimately, as a result of Michael Gorbachev's policy of glasnost in the 1980s, Many facts about the space program were declassified. Notably, setbacks included the deaths of Korolev, Vladimir Komarov in the Soyuz 1 crash, and Yuri Gagarin, who died on a routine fighter jet mission between 1966 and 1968, which was only a two-year period, and a disastrous experience with a huge N-1 rocket intended to power a manned lunar landing and which exploded shortly after launch on each of four unmanned tests. The Soviet space program was dissolved in the fall of the Soviet Union with Russia and Ukraine becoming its immediate heirs. Russia created the Russian Aviation and Space Agency, now known as the Russian Federal Space Agency, or Roscomos, while Ukraine created the National Space Agency of Ukraine, or the NSAU. The theory of space exploration had a solid basis in the Russian Empire before the First World War with the writings of Konstantin Shishkovsky, 
who lived from 1857 through 1935, who published papers pioneering in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and in 1929 introduced the concept of the multi-stage rocket. That's right, 1929. Practical aspects built on early experiments carried out by members of the Reactive Propulsion Study Group, known as GERD, founded in 1931. In the 1920s and 1930s were such pioneers as Sergei Korolev, who dreamed of traveling to Mars, and their German-Russian engineer, Frederick Stander, worked on August 18, 1933. GERD launched the first Soviet liquid fuel rocket, GERD-09. And on November 25, 1933, the first hybrid-fueled rocket, GERD-X. In 1940-41, another advance in reactor propulsion field took place. The development and serial production of the Katusha multiple rocket launcher. During the 1930s, Soviet rocket technology was comparable to Germany's, but Joseph Stalin's great purge severely damaged its progress. Many leading engineers were killed, and Korolev and others were imprisoned in the Gulag. Although the Katusha was very effective on the Eastern Front during World War II, the advanced state of the German rocket program amazed Russian engineers, who inspected its remains at Pinamunde and Middlework after the end of the war in Europe the Americans had secretly moved most leading German scientists and 100 V-2 rockets to the United States in Operation Paperclip. But the Russian program greatly benefited from captured German records and scientists, in particular drawings obtained from the V-2 protection sites. Under the direction of Dmitry Ustinov, Koryolev and others inspected the drawings. Helped by rocket scientist Helmut Rotrup and other captured Germans until the early 1950s, they built a replica of the V-2 called the R-1. Although the weight of the Soviet nuclear warheads required a more powerful boosters, Korolev's OKB-1 design Bureau was dedicated to the liquid fuel cryogenic rockets he had been experimenting with in the late 1930s. Ultimately, this work resulted in the design of the R-7 Semyorka Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, or ICBM, which was successfully tested in August of 1957. The Soviet space program was tied to the USSR's five-year plans and from the start was reliant on support from the Soviet military. Although he was single-mindedly driven by the dream of space travel, Korolevyo 
generally kept this secret while working on military projects, especially after the Soviet Union's first atomic bomb test in 1949, a missile capable of carrying a nuclear warhead to the United States, as many mocked the idea of launching satellites and manned spacecraft. Nonetheless, the first Soviet rocket with animals aboard launched in July of 1951. The two dogs were recovered alive after reaching 101 kilometers in altitude. Two months ahead of America's first such achievement. This and subsequent flight gave the Soviets valuable experience with space medicine. Because of its global range and large payload of approximately five tons, the reliable R-7 rocket was not only effective as a strategic delivery system for nuclear warheads, but was also an excellent basis for a space vehicle. The United States announcement in July 1955 of its plan to launch a satellite during the International Geophysical Year greatly benefited Korolev in persuading the Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev to support his plans in January 1956 in order to surpass the Americans. Plans were approved for Earth-orbiting satellites such as Sputnik to gain knowledge of space and four unmanned military reconnaissance satellites, Zenit. Further planned developments called for a manned Earth-orbit flight by 1964 and an unmanned lunar mission at an earlier date. After the first Sputnik proved to be a successful propaganda coup, Korolev, now known publicly only as the mysterious chief designer of rocket space systems, was charged to accelerate the manned program the design of which was combined with the Zenit program to produce the Vostok spacecraft. Still influenced by Sukhovsky, who had chosen Mars as the most important goal for space travel, in the early 1960s, the Russian program under Korolev created substantial plans for manned trips to Mars as early as 1968 to 1970, with closed-loop life support systems and electrical rocket engines and launched from large orbiting space stations, these plans were much more ambitious than than America's goal of landing a man on the moon. The Soviet space program was secondary in military funding to the Strategic Rocket Forces ICBM. While the West believed that Khrushchev personally ordered each new space mission for propaganda purposes, and the Soviet leader did have an unusually close relationship with Korolev and other chief designers, Khrushchev emphasized missiles than space exploration and was not very interested in competing 
with the Apollo program of the Americans. While the government and the Communist Party used the program's success as propaganda tools, after they occurred, systematic plans for missions based on political reasons were rare. One exception being Valentina Tereshkov, the first woman in space on Vostok 6 in 1963. Missions were planned based on rocket availability or ad hoc reasons, rather than scientific purposes. For example, the Soviet government in February of 1962 abruptly ordered an ambitious mission involving two Vostoks simultaneously in orbit launched in 10 days' time to obscure John Glenn's Mercury Atlas VI that month. The program could not do so until August with Vostok 3 and Vostok 4, unfortunately. Unlike the American space program, which had NASA as a single coordinating structure, directed by its administrator James Webb through most of the 1960s, the Soviet program was split between several competing design groups. Despite the remarkable successes of the Sputniks between 1957 and 1961 and the Vostoks between 1961 and 1964, after 1958, Korolev's OKB-1 design bureau faced increasing competition from his rival chief designers, Mikhail Yangel, Valentin Glushko, and Vladimir Chelamoni. Korolev planned to move forward with the Soviet craft and N-1 heavy booster that would be the basis of the permanent manned space station and manned exploration of the moon. However, his competitor Ustinov directed him to focus on near-Earth missions using the very reliable Voskhod spacecraft, which was a modified Vostok, as well as on interplanetary unmanned missions to nearby planets Venus and Mars. Yangel had been Korolev's assistant, but with the support of the military, he was given his own design bureau in 1954 to work primarily on military space program. This had the stronger rocket engine design team, including the use of hypergolic fuels. But following the Nedelin catastrophe in 1960, Yangel was directed to concentrate on ICBM development. He also continued to develop his own heavy booster designs similar to Korolev's N-1, both for military application and for cargo flights into space to build future space stations. Glushko was the chief rocket engine designer, but he had a personal friction with Korolev and refused to develop the large single-chamber cryogenic engines that Korolev needed to build the heavy boosters. Unbelievable. Chelomy benefited from the patronage of Khrushchev and in 1960 was given the plum jobs of developing a rocket 
to send a manned craft around the moon and a manned military space station. With limited space experience, his development was slow. The Apollo program's progress alarmed the chief designers, who each advocated for his own program as a response. Multiple overlapping designs received approval, and new proposals threatened already approved projects. Due to Korolev's singular persistence, in August 1964, more than three years after the United States declared its intention, the Soviet Union finally decided to compete for the moon. It set a goal of lunar landing in 1967, the 50th anniversary of the October Revolution, or 1968. At the one stage in the early 1960s, the Soviet space program was actively developing 30 projects for launchers and spacecraft. With the fall of Khrushchev in 1964, Korolev was given complete control of the manned spacecraft program. Unbelievably, Korolev died in January 1966 following a routine operation that uncovered colon cancer and from complications from heart disease and severe hemorrhaging. Wow. Kirim Kirimov, who was formerly an architect of Voskhod 1, was appointed chairman of the State Commission on the Piloted Flights and headed it for the next 25 years from 1966 to 1991. He supervised every stage of development and operation of both manned space complexes as well as unmanned interplanetary stations for the former Soviet Union. One of Germanov's greatest achievements was the launch of Mir in 1986. Leadership of the OKB-1 Design Bureau was given to Vasily Mission, who had the task of sending a man around the moon in 1967 and landing a man on it in 1968. Mission lacked the late Koryalov's political authority and still faced competition from other chief designers. Under pressure, Mission approved the launch of Soyuz 1 flight in 1967, even though the craft had never been successfully tested on an unmanned flight. The mission launched with known design problems and ended with the vehicle crashing to the ground, killing cosmonaut Vladimir Komarov. This was the first in-flight fatality. Following this disaster, and under new pressures, Mission developed a drinking problem. The Soviets were narrowly beaten in sending the first manned flight around the moon in 1968 by Apollo 8, but Mission pressed ahead with development of the problematic Super Heavy N-1 rocket in the hope that the Americans would have a setback, leaving enough time to make the N-1 workable and land a man on the moon first. 
there was a success with the joint flight of Soyuz 4 and Soyuz 5 in January 1969 that tested the rendezvous, docking, and crew transfer techniques that would be used for landing, and the LK lander was tested successfully in Earth orbit. But after four unmanned test launches of the N-1 ended in failure, the heavy boosters was abandoned, and with it any chance of the Soviets landing men on the moon in a single launch. Besides the manned landings, the abandoned Soviet moon program, including the multi-purpose moon base Vezda, the first detailed with developed mock-ups of expedition vehicles and surface modules. Later proposed new manned program Vulcanlek was not adopted on economic reasons. Following this setback, Chelomey convinced Ustinov to approve a program in 1970 to advance his Almaz military space station as a means of beating the U.S. announced Skylab. Mission remained in control of the project that became Salyut, but the decision backed by Mission to fly a three-man crew without pressure suits rather than a two-man crew with suits to Salyut 1 in 1971, proved fatal when the re-entry capsule depressurized, killing the crew on the return to Earth. Mission was then removed from many projects, with Chelomey regaining control of the Salyut program. After working with NASA on the Apollo-Soyuz test project, the Soviet leadership decided a new management approach was needed, and so in 1974, the N-1 was canceled and mission was dismissed. A single design bureau was created, NPO Energia, with Glushko as its chief designer. Despite a failure of manned lunar programs, the Soviets achieved a significant success with two historical firsts, the automatic Lunakud and the Luna Sample Return missions. Also, the Mars probe programs continued with some small success, while the explorations of Venus and then of Halley's Comet by Venera and Vega probe programs was more effective. There was quite a bit of program secrecy in the Soviet space program. Citizens of the Soviet Union believed the Soviet space program capable of accomplishing any feat they put their minds to. This blind faith is the result of the program secrecy because by knowing less, the future seemed limitless. The Soviet space program had withheld information on its projects predating the success of Sputnik the world's first artificial satellite. In fact, when the Sputnik program was first approved, one of the most immediate courses of action was the Pulborough took was to consider what to announce to the world regarding their event. The Telegraph Agency of the Soviet Union, also known as TASS, established precedents for all official announcements 
on the Soviet space program. The information eventually released did not offer details on who built and launched the satellite or why it was launched. However, the public release is illuminating in what it does reveal. There was an abundance of archaic scientific and technical data as if to overwhelm the reader with mathematics in the absence of even a picture of the spacecraft. What remains of the releases is the pride for Soviet cosmonauts and the vague hinting of future possibilities when available after Sputnik's success. Clearly, the Soviet space program's use of secrecy served as both a tool to prevent the leaking of classified information between countries and to create a mysterious barrier between the space program and the Soviet population. The program's nature embodied ambiguous messages concerning its goals, successes, and values. The program itself was so secret that a regular Soviet citizen could never achieve a concrete image of it, but rather a superficial picture of its history, present activities, or future endeavors. According to authors, according to historians and scientists, launchings were not announced until they took place. Cosmonauts' names were not released until they flew. Mission details were sparse. We did not know the size or shape of their rockets or cabins or most of their spaceships, except for the first Sputniks, lunar probes, and Venus probes. However, because of its nature, the Soviet space program suffered a paradox. On one hand, officials attempted to promote the space program by frequently connecting its successes to the strength of socialism. On the other hand, the same officials understood the importance of secrecy in the context of the Cold War. This stress on secrecy in the USSR can be understood as a measure to protect its strength and weaknesses. Such reasoning for secrecy was motivated by the desire to protect information necessary for national security, a desire that wished to positively promote the external image of the Soviet state to the outside world by limiting content which may taint its image, thus conveying the government's control over ideas and technology and the protection of Soviet inventions. However, the military influence of the Soviet space program may be its most sweeping explanation for its shroud of secrecy that surrounded the program. The early successes of the program, Sputnik, Laka, Yuri Gagorin, orchestrated by the Experimental Design Bureau 1 or OKB-1, were undoubtedly a critical factor. The OKB-1 was subordinated under the Ministry of General Machine Building. This ministry had been a highly secretive military-industrial complex that had been targeted by Western intelligence forces' scrutiny during the Cold War. Originally, the OKB-1's primary goal 
was the production and further improvement of intercontinental ballistic missiles. This change in the 1960s with a shift in gears towards the space race, but the association with the overtly military missile project remained, and the Soviet space program achievements were covered in another layer of secrecy. Military affairs regarding the development of weapons, like most intercontinental ballistic missile projects, operated under the most clandestine practices. Soviet military industrial officers constructed an esoteric policy of labeling weapons with relied on logicless random number letter systems. For example, the Vostok spacecraft was referred to as Object IIF-63, while its launch rocket was Object 8K-72K. Even the factory workers contracted to build and deliver parts for spacecraft construction had a minuscule conception of the larger picture. Enforced rules and separate divisions of access prevented workers of one section to gain knowledge of what was going on occurring in other developmental departments. The origins of intense military secrecy, which eventually branched into the space program, emerged as a temporary practice first adopted during the Cold War. These clandestine measures were applied in 1977 with the renaming of the defense factories to sets of numbers. This practice would be adapted into research and design projects within the factories, and the tradition would continue in order to obfuscate Soviet goals from their adversaries. However, still paranoid that Western intelligent forces would be able to understand the private code, employees were not allowed to discuss the code in public, but rather needed to refer to the factories, institutes, and departments in public by using another code a special post office box number for their identification. In retrospect, one can now observe the pattern which emerged as Soviet space exploits became more frequent. The program eliminated contingency in its announcements in the public. As far as the people knew, the Soviet space program had never experienced failure. With almost no exceptions, coverage of the Soviet space exploits, especially in the case of human space missions, omitted reports of failure or trouble. Out of fear of admitting any defeat, reports of cosmonauts' missions lean towards an exaggerated positive spin rather than factual substance. The Soviet Union was famously described by Winston Churchill as a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And nothing signified this more than the search for the truth behind its space program during the Cold War. Although the space race was literally played out above our heads, it was often obscured by a figurative space curtain that took much effort to see through. 
However, what should be comprehended is that the demands for secrecy, which revolved around the space program, are likely have been influenced by overreaching Soviet military imperatives. Okay, with all that said, the Soviets still had some pretty ex- impressive firsts. Two days after the United States announced its intention to launch an artificial satellite, on July 31, 1956, the Soviet Union announced its intention to do the same. Sputnik 1 was launched on October 4, 1957, beating the United States and stunning people all over the world. But that wasn't their only first. Here's some others. In 1957, the first ICB missiles, an orbital launch vehicle. The 1957, the first animal to orbit. The dog Latka on Sputnik 2. In 1959, the first rocket ignition in Earth's orbit. The first man-made object to escape Earth's gravity was Luna 1. 1959, the first data communications or telemetry to and from outer space in Luna 1. In 1959, the first man-made object to pass near the moon. The first man-made object in heliocentric orbit, Luna 1. 1959, the first probe to impact the moon, Luna 2. 1959, the first images of the moon's far side, Luna 3. 1960s, the first animal to safely return from Earth orbit, the dogs Belka and Strekla on Sputnik 5. 1961, the first probe launched to Venus, Venera 1. 1961, the first person in space and in Earth's orbit, Yuri Gagarin on Vostok 1. 1961, the first person to spend over 24 hours in space, Herman Titov, Vostok 2. He, by the way, was also the first person to ever sleep in space. 1962, the first dual manned spacecraft, Vostok 3 and 4. 1962, the first probe launched to Mars, Mars 1. 1963, the first woman in space, Valentina Tereshkov in Vostok 6. 1964, the first multi-person crew with three guys in it, Voshkov 1. 1965, the first EVA by Alexei Lenov in Voskhod 2. 1965, the first probe to hit another planet of the solar system, Venus. 1966, first probe to make a soft landing and transmit from the surface of the moon, Luna 9. 1966, first probe in lunar orbit, Luna 10. The list goes on and on and on. It's amazing what they accomplished with the situation they had.
finally we come towards the end of the space program. And the Soviet program had a program called Buran. And the program Buran produced a, the space shuttle Buran based on its third stage super heavy Energia launcher. The Energia would be used as the base for the manned Mars mission. Buran intended to operate in support of large space-based military platforms as a response to the first U.S. space shuttle and then the SDI, if you remember, the Strategic Defense Initiative by the Reagan administration. By the time the system was operational in 1988, strategic arms reduction treaties and the end of the Cold War made Buran redundant. On November 15, 1988, the Buran orbiter and its energy or rocket were launched from Baknur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan and after three hours and two orbits glided to a landing a few miles from its launch pad. Several vehicles were built, but only the one flew as an unmanned test flight into space. Since it had no military application, it was found too expensive to operate as a civilian launcher. If you ever see it, a picture of it, it's exactly like the Space Shuttle Enterprise or Atlantis or it's a carbon copy of our Space Shuttle. Now, the Soviet space program also has experienced a number of fatal incidents and failures. The so-called Nedelin catastrophe in 1960, that you probably have never heard of, was a disastrous explosion of a fueled rocket being tested on the launch pad, killing many technical personnel, aerospace engineers, and technicians working on the project at the time of the explosion. The first official cosmonaut fatality during training occurred on March 23, 1961, when Valentin Bondarko died in a fire within a low-pressure, high-oxygen atmosphere. I wonder if that information was made public, would that have saved the Apollo 1 astronauts from that same fate? The Voskhod program was canceled after two-man flights owing to the change of the Soviet leadership and nearly fatal close calls during the second mission. Had the plan further flights gone ahead, they could have given the Soviet space program further firsts, including a long-duration flight of 20 days, a spacewalk by a woman, and an untethered spacewalk. The deaths of Korolev from surgery and colon cancer and Komarov in the Soyuz 1 crash and Gregarian, the first human in space, and he died while on a routine fighter jet mission, within two years of each other, understandably had substantial negative impacts on the Soviet space program. 
The Soviets continued striving for their first lunar mission with the huge N-1 rocket, which exploded on each of the four unmanned tests shortly after launch. The Americans won the space, the race to land men on the moon, with Apollo 11 on July 20th, 1969. In 1971, the Soyuz-11 mission resulted in the deaths of three cosmonauts, when the crew capsule depressurized during preparations for re-entry. This accident resulted in the only human deaths to occur in space, as opposed to high atmosphere. The crew members aboard Soyuz 11 were Vladovs Volkov, Georgi Dobronsky, and Viktor Patsyev. On April 5, 1975, Soyuz 7KT number 39, the second stage of the Soyuz rocket carrying two cosmonauts to the Salyut 4 space station malfunctioned, resulting in the first manned launch abort. The cosmonauts were carried several thousand miles downrange and became worried that they would land in China, which the Soviet Union was then having difficult relations with. The capsule hit a mountainside, sliding down a slope and almost slid off a cliff. Fortunately, the parachute line snagged on trees and kept this from happening. As it was, the two suffered severe injuries and the commander, Lazarev, never flew again. On March 18th, 1980, a Vostok rocket exploded on its launch pad during a fueling operation, killing 48 people. In August 1981, the Cosmos 434, which had been launched in 1971, was about to re-enter. To allay fears that the spacecraft carried nuclear materials, a spokesperson from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Soviet Union assured the Australian government on August 26, 1981 that the satellite was an experimental lunar cabin. This was one of the first admissions by the Soviet Union that had ever engaged in a manned lunar spaceflight program. In September 1983, the Soyuz rocket being launched to carry cosmonauts to the Salyut 7 space station exploded on the pad, causing the Soyuz capsule's short abort system to engage, thankfully saving the two cosmonauts on board. In addition, there has also been several other unconfirmed reports of lost cosmonauts whose deaths have been allegedly covered up by the Soviet Union. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet.
Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.